0: Welcome to Crowdsourcing Revolution. I'm Amanda Rice. Today, we're going to look at a taxonomy of disagreement. We'll be getting started in just So occasionally, I go through my bookmarks that
1: I've had for a while and see what all I've
0: bookmarked that might be interesting to look at. Today, on a website called LessWrong.com, Uh, The link to the article is in the show description. This is the, um, I believe, the fifth in a series
1: about practical conflict resolution.
0: And according to the website, it's a 12-minute read. The previous posts in this sequence were largely set up,
1: still important, but not intended to contain significant new material. Now finally we get to the good stuff. Once you've got the right attitude, good communication, and a decent grasp of what both sides are saying, how do you actually get to successful resolutions? For me, it boils down to understanding the building blocks of how we argue
0: and how we disagree. Philosophers and linguists
1: have spent millennia studying the nature of logic, rhetoric, and argument, all the way from Aristotle through to predicate logic and beyond. However, while rhetoric and disagreement are obviously related, the nature of disagreement itself is much less studied. The rationalist community has explored parts of it, coming up with some interesting ideas, like double-cruxing. But as far as I know, has only a few disconnected, disconnected
0: Disconnected heuristics, no comprehensive theory. Please hold. Hello, one other.
1: Sorry, I just had to run off and get something real quick. And we're going to get started back with the reading momentarily. The link to the article I'm reading is right there
0: in the show notes. I will So on this app, we are always talking about
1: how people think, how people might think, how people do think, how that people make reason, how they, how they come up with the arguments that they have, and I know that there have been uh, many, many people, eggheads all, in universities that have studied these things and might have an opinion. And might have a way of describing the way we communicate in a way that's helpful for me to better understand miscommunications or clear them up.
0: That said, every incident, of course, is going to be different from every other incident. Sorry, I had to floss my teeth. In a very brief post in 2017,
1: well before I joined Less Wrong, which is the website where the article is printed or published, I sketched out a basic characterization of disagreements with almost no exclamation. Several years later, my core model remains almost the same. While there can be many forms, forms of valid argument and many kinds of propositions to slot into those arguments, there are, in fact, only three, times of, three kinds of atomic disagreement. Fact, value, and meaning. As far as I can tell, every disagreement must either belong to one of these categories, be, quote, empty, unquote, meaning there's technically no disagreement at all, or be a complex combination of smaller disagreements. I'll tackle them one at a time, including tips for resolving each type, and then talk about how to understand and break down the more complex combinations. So, according to this
0: article by the famed author, Anonymous, Disagreements come in three flavors, fact,
1: value, and meaning. The first one, disagreements of fact. Disagreements of fact are disagreements over how the world was, is, or will be. They are fundamentally empirical in nature. If I believe that there are only 10 chickens on the planet, and you believe that there are more, that's something we can physically check. We just have to go out and count enough chickens. Disagreements about historical facts are often harder to resolve. We can't just count the chickens alive in the year 1500 to see how many there were. But the factual nature of the disagreement remains. There is a single right answer, and we just have to find it. Resolving disagreements of fact is a specialty of science and the scientific method. When a disagreement of fact is not directly resolvable through empirical observation, hunt for places where the core disagreement results in differing predictions about something that is directly. Seen. Maybe if there were as many chickens as you believe, the nutrient content of human skeletons from that era will back you up. I really don't know. Historical chicken population is not my specialty, and this example is getting out of hand. Of course, some disagreements of fact may not be perfectly resolvable with technology we have available to us. The nutrient content of skeletons maybe give some indication of chicken population, but it's not going to give us a precise count. In these cases, it's best to fall back on reasoning based on Bayesian statistics. What are your prior confidence levels and how do, you, how do the various pieces of evidence affect them? What else can you easily empirically check which will impact those confidence levels? Even then, there are some cases where you just, there just doesn't seem to be any checkable predictions that come out of a conflict of fact. The various debates around string theory were like this for a while. The nice thing is that when you hit a disagreement like this, it somehow stops mattering. If there are no differences in the predictions that can be tested with current technology, then until that technology exists, The two possible worlds are by definition indistinguishable. Finally, for cases about the future, it's important to distinguish between disagreements about how the world will be, for example, whether there will be more or fewer chickens tomorrow, and disagreements about how the world should be, for example, whether we ought to breed more chickens. Disagreements about how the world will be can sometimes be resolved like historical facts by looking for more immediately checkable predictions. They can also be resolved by just waiting until the future comes to pass. On the other hand, disagreements about how the world should be take us into our next type of
0: disagreement, disagreements of value. So the
1: second type of disagreement is disagreements of value. Disagreements of value are disagreements over what we ought to value. This tends to play out more concretely in disagreements over how the world ought to be and what we ought to do to get there. For example, if I believe that we should value chickens' lives as much as human lives, and you believe we should value them less, that is inherently a disagreement over value. There is no checkable fact or testable prediction, now or in the future. The disagreement is fundamentally about what is important. Of course, in practice, you're unlikely to see direct disagreement over the value of chicken lives. You're more likely to see a disagreement over whether humans should eat chickens or not but it's often the same thing. Disagreements of value are difficult to deal with. This is often because there is really a complex multi-part disagreement masquerading as a simple value disagreement. For example, a disagreement over whether we ought to be vegetarian may be about environmental factors as much as it is of the value of a chicken's life. The key thing to pay attention to is whether the values under debate are instrumental or terminal. So disagreements of value are difficult to deal with. The key is to pay attention to whether the values under debate are instrumental or terminal. If the values under debate are instrumental, for example, vegetarianism as a means to value chicken life, then things are by definition complex as there are at least two possible underlying disagreements. The root cause could be a disagreement over the terminal value, whether a chicken's life should be valued, or a disagreement over the best way to achieve that terminal value, our consumption of chicken has caused a great increase in the total number of chickens, which might be a more effective way to value their lives. When you see a debate over an instrumental value, apply Hume's guillotine to slice apart the pieces and find the more fundamental disagreement. Keep in mind that there's nothing to stop both pieces from being sources of disagreement at once. In which case, you should at least try to take them one at a
0: time. So, I'm going to click this link to
1: instrumental or terminal values. Let's see what this says. Here. Terminal value, also known as an intrinsic value is an ultimate goal, an end in itself. The non-standard term super goal is used for this concept in Eliezer's Yadowski's earlier writing. In an artificial general intelligence with a utility or reward function, the terminal value is the maximization of that function. The concept is not useful Usefully applicable to all AIs, and is not known. It is not known how applicable it is to organic entities. Terminal versus instrumental values. Terminal values stand in contrast to instrumental values, also known as extrinsic values, which are means to an end, mere tools of achieving terminal values. For example, if a given university student student studies merely as a professional qualification, his terminal value is getting a job, while getting good grades is an instrument to that end. If a simple chess program tries to maximize piece value three three turns into the future, that is an instrumental value to its implicit terminal value of winning the game.
0: Some values may be called terminal,
1: merely in relation to an instrumental goal, yet themselves serve instrumentally toward a higher goal. However, in considering future artificial general intelligence, the phrase terminal value is generally used only for top level of goal hierarchy of the AGI itself. The true ultimate goals of the system, but excluding goals inside the AGI in service of other goals, and excluding the purpose of the AGI's makers, the goal for which
0: they built the system. Wow, that's very confusing. So, terminal are intrinsic values internal
1: Recognizing instrumental values, value debates can be tricky as can breaking them down into their constituent parts in practice, one of the best ways to do both of these things is to simply try the question, "Why does that matter and not accept. It just does as an answer. When pressed, most people will be able to articulate that. For example, they actually value vegetarianism because they value the lives of of animals. The other way to recognize many instrumental value debates is to look for two apparently unrelated values being traded
0: off against one another. One way to recognize many instrumental
1: value debates is to look for two apparently unrelated values being traded off against one another. Imagine we're building a coop for all the for all these chickens. If one person thinks we should prioritize security against foxes, while the other thinks we should prioritize the number of chickens it can hold, it might seem like they are at an impact. But this is actually an instrumental value debate that can be easily resolved. All we have to do is normalize the units under debate. Fox security and number of chickens are not directly comparable values, but in practice, they're probably both backed by the same terminal value, maximizing the number of eggs we can collect per day. By normalizing the two sides into a single terminal value unit, we're left with a simple disagreement of fact which can be resolved via experimentation, which approach results in more eggs. Unfortunately, if the values under debate are truly terminal, back to whether chickens' lives should be valued as humans' lives, then there isn't a good way to resolve this conflict. This conflict will exist until somebody changes their core values, and that's incredibly hard to do. The best hack I've found is to come up with an unrelated value or problem which both participants agree is is more important and thus makes, it, makes the current conflict either irrelevant or at least not worth arguing over. Whether a chicken's life is worth a human's life tends to take a back seat when the human's house is on fire. Note, I am not advocating arson as a means of avoiding debates about vegetarianism,
0: so that's disagreements of value. hey Joshua welcome. How are you doing tonight Pretty
2: good what well, uh i can, I can't read the cartoon. What's the cartoon in the picture
1: oh um it's it's uh hang on one sec, I I'll not tell you. It's um two people saying we've gotta stop talking about politics and then there's like an empty panel and then the next panel, it's like they're arguing about politics again.
0: <laughs> That's funny. It,
1: it is kind of fun. I I will find it so I can actually read it to you. Let's see, where is it? Here we go. I think it might be an X K C D. No, it's not an XKCD. Yeah, it's one of those ones that I, as soon as I found it, oh yeah, yeah, here it is. It says, the first panel says, let's not talk about politics anymore, I can't bear it. The other person says, same, and then there's a panel with nobody saying anything. This thing is, the the thing is, though, these fucking idiots. So that's what it says.
2: That's funny though.
1: Right. Yeah. I think I must have sent that to my friends a couple of
0: times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going through this interesting article that I was reading about a taxonomy of disagreement, how there can be disagreement. There's like three different types of disagreement.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Disagreement of fact or disagreement of value, and now the third one is the disagreements of meaning. So, fact, value, and
2: and what's the last one again?
1: Meaning, meaning. Oh, meaning.
2: Okay,
1: it's best understood by examining the classic question if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears hears it, does it make a sound? While on the surface, a disagreement on this point may seem to be a disagreement of fact, it's almost always instead a disagreement of meaning. Most reasonable people will agree to the same core facts of what happens when a tree falls in the forest. First, they'll agree that it produces vibrations in the air, also known as sound waves. Second, they'll agree that those sound waves dissipate before reaching anybody's ears as stipulated in the question. These two points actually cover all of the questions of fact relevant to this agreement. The conflict is really over the meaning of the word sound. Does it refer to the simple production of sound waves, in which case the tree makes a sound, or does it refer to the sensation created by sound waves heard by a person, and in which case it does not? The nice thing about disagreements of meaning is that they almost never matter. (laughs) Language is socially negotiated, and at the end of the day, word meanings are entirely arbitrary. The only thing you need to to, to do to resolve a conflict like this is to be very clear about your definition, and the conflict magically evaporates. Replacing problem words with new nonsense words that have clear definitions is a great trick for this, borrowed from uh, another less wrong post on the same topic. This is from a website called Less Wrong, which is I think kind of funny. <laughs> Lesswrong.com. One case where the meaning of words does, legitimate, does legitimately matter is law. As a friend of mine so nicely put it, laws are stored in words, and interpreting the meaning of those words can impact how the law is applied, who goes to jail, etc. Ultimately, though, word definitions are still arbitrary and will even shift over time, meaning that these disagreements are not resolvable without getting in really deep into the philosophy of law. The question of of literal meaning versus author's intent just to start. Fortunately, we have a standard method for making these decisions anyway, judges and juries. The result is that law evolves over time just like the people that interpret it and the language that stores it. The other case where people like to argue that word meanings matter is when certain words are offensive, disrespectful, or even harmful if that's a thing you believe words can be fortunately this is one this one is a bit more clear cut the use of these words is a thing people can disagree about but it's not a disagreement of meaning it actually has two parts tying up an instrumental or potentially terminal value we should not offend or harm people with a factual claim Some proportion or group of people are offended or harmed by a given word. The meaning of the word no longer matters at all. And then we get to, there's two more kinds of disagreements. So there's three flavors. There's disagreements over fact. And there's disagreements over value. What do we value? Like, you might have a different value from me. That's not something I can really change. That's, But if you can figure out how to get to there. And disagreements of, of, of meaning. So the other two paragraphs here are about empty disagreements and complex disagreements. Empty disagreements are kind of interesting. And I'm not sure how to think about them. Part of why I wanted to do this show was because there are so many disagreements that happen here on Call Room, and we often are talking about theorizing, well, what was that person thinking, and trying to imagine how people think, like, I'm sure there's people out there that have done a lot of studies and a lot of reading more than me, for sure who might have an idea about it that might be smarter than mine. So, that's why we're here. And empty disagreements. Empty disagreements are a later addition to this post and are quite different from the other three types. In a certain sense, they're not real real disagreements at all and are merely what happens when disagreement becomes disconnected from any tangible point. So, probably relevant here on calling. But in practice they are fairly common and my goal with this sequence is ultimately a practical one. Empty disagreement happens when there is no fundamental disagreement of fact, value, or meaning between the two parties, but something in the situation causes them to start or continue a conflict regardless. This is usually related either to social status when someone knows they're wrong but won't back down to avoid losing faith, or to an internal emotional state, when someone is caught up in the heat of the moment. In both cases, it is ideas from prior posts of this sequence that are key to successful resolution. Status-based conflicts are frequently best solved by changing venues, usually to one with a smaller audience. In most cases, people are happy to resolve the conflict themselves once doing so would no longer cost them status. Things things become trickier if this isn't possible, or if the status issue is actually between two people involved in the conflict. You can try to build enough trust to overcome the status issue, or compensate for it by making an unrelated concession. But ultimately, you'll have to resolve the status issues to resolve the conflict similarly, hes the moment conflicts are usually best solved by committing more strongly to the four attitudes I described in the first post on attitudes and there are this is a it's linked in the article that is in the show description link and is part of this. Sequence of articles about practical conflict resolution. So here are the here is the advice: breathe deep, aim for success instead of victory, use humility to build trust necessary to reach that point, and never lose sight of the fact that both sides are operating in good faith. Mistakes in the heat of moment are still fundamentally different from malice. If necessary, taking a five-minute break to go to the washroom or get a drink of water. Time away is often all that is really needed for people to cool down.
0: How you doing there, Joshua? Hey, Brady.
1: What's going down, man? No, I was gonna say
2: i have, I think I have empty disagreements with Lysol
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably it takes me the time to cool down, and I'm not mad at him no more,
1: yep, he's kind of like that. It's kind of like you know that that fabric that somehow never seems to actually soak up water, so so complex disagreements how's it going brady what you
3: Uh, my microphone this is a very aquarian title i like it i was just involved in another conflict tonight some giant asshole in a big black truck just slammed into the back of my tiny little honda and then oh no are you okay but i got his information i got his
1: are you okay
3: dude he hit me like yeah my that does hurt like I got like whip flash like from the the freaking impact. And it's something I could totally walk off, you know what I mean? If I, if it was like an old lady or something on accident. But like this dude tried to run from the scene. So I'm gonna go get an X-ray tomorrow. I'm gonna see anything, you know, what I'm gonna, gonna do whatever protocol there is because I've been involved in like uh, how many hit and runs? One, two, three fourth hit and run but yeah fourth hit and run here in Texas
1: um wait wait are you the hitter or are you the, the being are. are you the hitter or the hitty
3: I'm the one getting hit and the one uh wait, tracking wait, What down is going the runners.
1: on in Texas man
3: and I'm telling you that three times so far I've been hit and they ran away and they were not charged with a hit and run so I'm gonna make sure that this guy is charged with the hit and run this time because three times it's happened and they've gotten away with it, and so I'm but, definitely not letting this guy get away with it because he's in a giant date. He needs to drive something smaller. Bottom line.
1: But you didn't. You didn't stay at the scene of the accident either, right?
0: Um,
3: n- no, because he took off. Yeah.
1: Right. So they might, they, I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. I, 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 don't I returned know, to the, the scene of the accident
3: Texas. and I called the police. And so I did all that stuff. You know, I, I did all the protocol on my end. Well, as long you, as it's so been reported, that's the
1: main end. thing. As long as it was reported.
3: Exactly. I immediately reported it. I have photographic evidence. Uh, and if there's not a video there, then I'm going to put a video there and I'm going to make some money off that one way or the other, you know, but there's a lot of, I'm, I'm, I was already like primed to do something about this. Did it damage your car? Yeah. You know, not a whole lot. It still runs. Like I was Mm -hmm. able to track him down and chase him down and get his license plate. But, um. Uh, it, the bumper is fucked up. The trunk still works. You know, I thought that the back of my car would be like totally fucked up, but um, it's actually not that bad. The car still runs. I'm I'm actually at work right now at DoorDash. DoorDashing, waiting for an order as we speak. So car still runs, but um, yeah, that's just my personal anecdote. Of the night, but um, I like I was watching the debate between Glenn Greenwald about the January 6th thing. And I've been involved in so many debates lately, and I'm very interested in the taxonomy of.
1: Well, cool. We're just going on. There's There are three types of, three flavors of disagreement. Disagreement of fact, disagreement of value, disagreement of meaning. And then we just talked about empty disagreements. And the last one that's listed here before the conclusion. Is complex disagreements. As we've gone through the I types like so far, we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I like that good, a lot. Right? I can, I can I I have to say that disagreements on meaning are some of my favorites. Um, I'm very interested yeah. in linguistics and language and whatnot, but um, I would add to the list. You know, you got social disagreements, and you got you know. Um, I mean, I could well, really add to that list. All day, I feel the, like that, yeah. that's
1: the that, that's the disagreements of value is the social one.
0: Okay, yeah. But let value. me read about. Let me yeah, read to you about one. the complex to... disagreements.
1: The link to the article I'm reading is in the um, show notes, in case you wanted to click to it. As we've gone through the types so far, we've seen a couple of examples of complex disagreements masquerading as simpler forms of disagreement. This is typically how they show up in practice, since if the complexity is obvious, the participants will break it apart themselves without thinking about it. The fact that instrumental values show up frequently in this way, that means instrumental means external, values show up frequently in this way is also not a coincidence. The combination of a value with a fact to produce an instrumental value is one of the easiest signs of a complex disagreement that needs to be split up. Other signs, the other major sign of a complex disagreement is the use of the forms of prepositional and predicate logic. Argument forms like modus Ponens are how complex arguments get built up and thus naturally how complex disagreements can be broken down. Modus ponens. This is not a term I'm familiar with. Are you familiar with this term? I'm going to pause the reading so I can look it up. Modus ponens. In prepositional logic, modus ponens is a deductive argument form and rule of inference. It can be summarized as P implies Q. P is true, therefore Q must also be true. I see. So if if P then Q. P, therefore Q. That's what a modus ponens is. If today is Tuesday, then John will go to work. Today is Tuesday, therefore John will go to work. So that's what that kind of argument is. And it says argument forms like modus ponens are how complex arguments get built up and thus naturally how complex disagreements can be broken down. Of course, people rarely phrase their arguments in pure logical form, so you'll probably have to do some steel manning along the way. But if you're lucky, somebody will make their arguments in roughly the right shape. As mentioned in the post on comprehension, regular practice is the best way to build these skills. Even when an argument is really trivial, for example, a five-ounce bird could not carry a one-pound coconut, while talking about the carrying capacity of swallows, it can be worth breaking down. In its pure logical form, that example becomes something like, if a bird weighs five ounces, it cannot carry a coconut. Swallows weigh five ounces, therefore, swallows cannot carry coconuts. Just like with instrumental values, we now have different, two different pieces where either could be the source of disagreement. By narrowing in on the root cause, or at least taking them one at a time, you've made the conflict smaller and more focused. Once you've gone down a few layers, you'll usually end up at a, either at a testable disagreement of fact or a shared terminal value, and will be able to resolve it appropriately. The goal with complex disagreement is always to break it down and deal with the pieces, not to swallow it whole. There is a, just a conclusion, which could take just it's one, two, three paragraphs, and I'll and I'll wrap up. When faced with a disagreement, I try to approach it the way I would approach a newly synthesized molecule. I know that it must be made of atoms somehow, but I don't yet know which atoms or in what structure. Every disagreement I've come across is made up of one or more atomic types in this post. Stuck together, mostly, using the forms of prepositional and predicate logic. Typically, once you start peeling back the layers, you'll find that most parts of a disagreement aren't disagreements at all. Yes, you started out arguing about X, but in fact, X was a complex type, and three of its four component pieces were ones you actually agreed on. The underlying disagreement was about Y. Which is either complex itself? Break it down again, or atomic. Wrapping it all up in a bulleted, uh, into a bullet list algorithm. This is rough, roughly how I approach conflict resolution in my real life. First, use logical forms to break down a complex disagreement into simpler parts. Second, discard the parts that are actually agreed upon. Tackle the remaining parts one at a time. Next, repeat. Next, once you have atomic disagreements and can't repeat, use science and Bayesian statistics to resolve disagreements of fact. Use clear definitions to resolve disagreements of meaning. Use overriding values to try to avoid disagreements of terminal values, but watch out for values that are actually instrumental. And finally, if there are no atomic disagreements, resolve the empty conflict by building trust, addressing status issues, and cooling runaway runaway emotions. I hope reading this sequence proves as helpful to you as writing it was for me. I want to once again thank the person who prompted me to write it, as well as all the other people who read early drafts and provided invaluable feedback.
0: I like that it's written in first person, but it's anonymous.
3: (laughs) It's anonymous? Well, they did a good job. Um, And I hope it catches on culturally, like the same way that dude bros are always debating about objectivity, you know? I've noticed that sometimes a certain debate culture arises and hopefully this will kind of speed up a lot of the time that gets wasted in online debates and we actually get to the bottom of some of these conflicts and like the bottom of reality and definitions and values and all those good things because I think a lot of time gets wasted in debate and um no one knows what to do next because we, we never get past debate no real debate even happens you know we're we're at the point now where humanity is like approaching public debate, you know, on an internet level and that's kind of shaking things up. People don't really know how to process it all, but hopefully this serves as a good protocol to kind of uh, expedite the process a little bit. So I think it's totally rad. Whoever did it, did a great job.
1: Yeah. It's helpful to have tools and ways of understanding when I'm looking at the article on comprehension it's summed up uh, there's four key points under comprehension in the practical guide to conflict resolution always seek seek always to understand actively look for the best version of everyone's arguments. separate the problem and the solution and to truly understand, you must explain how both sides came to be, so when you're disagreeing with somebody, it's good to get curious and try to understand how they came to that opinion. so one of the interesting um points this person made was um, it, so When you have a standard of comprehension that includes being able to explain how both sides came to think that way, religion is a good example. Most theistic worldviews can pretty naturally explain the existence of atheists, but a lot of atheists have a hard time explaining the existence of theists people are dumb, maybe emotionally satisfying, but doing the work of constructing a real explanation builds a lot of empathy and ends up sharpening the resulting argument.
0: So, comprehension is important.
3: Yes, because with comprehension comes assimilation. And resistance is futile to reality. Yeah, yeah. The 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 long arc of history. I think, like Cornel West says, uh, the long arc of history bends towards justice. And I like.
0: So,
1: so attitudes is the other thing to be aware of because sometimes when you're in a debate, you're not trying to resolve a conflict, really. But if what you're trying to do is actually come to some understanding and resolve a conflict, you have to go into it with an attitude of being humble and willing to change your mind and pay attention to your emotions and assume good faith. And all of that is... is is. You know, iffy when you're
3: on. Yeah, I call it seeking the 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 steel man. It's like you get you to ask someone, "Do you want a, a scarecrow or a steel man? Like, wh- what are you looking for here?" You know. And uh, another really good breaking code or breaking spell I have is this. This is one that I think that might have caught on actually. I was in a couple of online debates with a bunch of alt right dude bros. And every single time they tried to steel man me or straw man or I'm sorry, straw man, my argument, I would ask them, do you know what theory of mind is? <laughs> and they'd be like, what, <laughs> what is that reason to the thing? And, uh, it theory of mind is someone's, you know, ability to imagine what someone else is thinking or feeling, you know, your, your, your kind of your ability to empathize with someone else. It's an, It's a higher form of human intelligence. It's kind of what separates us from animals in a lot of ways. And it makes it hard for someone to lie to you if you have a good, strong theory of mind. Right. Um, But uh, I'd noticed that a metal band kind of like a dude, bro, conservative white dude metal band came out with a song called theory of mind. (laughs) Recently I'm like, dude, I wonder if it caught on, you know? So I'm really hoping that, uh, this these kind of protocols uh catch on the same way that that did and maybe we'll end up hearing a metal song about it within the next couple of years that would be totally kublaqai is pretty cool i'll say that the band i'll say that that's
2: called kublaqa
3: a song called Theory of Mind by Kublai and they're pretty good they're oh. super
2: yeah this stuff's interesting uh, I don't know I, I, I guess like the disagreements I have with Lysol are kind of like uh, I don't know if they're empty disagreements or what but like because I, th- I think like me and Lysol agree on pretty much everything but then we get caught up on like stupid little things But Brady, uh, Lysol said he doesn't get along with you. Why? Why is that?
3: I don't tolerate his bullshit. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't don't know. What do you guys? What do you guys disagree about? Um, I think that COVID. Well, I'm concerned.
2: Oh, okay. What it is, and he's not a. I was wondering what it is.
3: So it was the Pizzagate thing that really set him off. Like, and the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing, he does not want to talk about any of that whatsoever. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'm not going to twist your arm, but I'm not a fucking bad guy for bringing it up, you know.
2: I've wrongly assumed that you guys would just get along. But now I realize, like, wait, you, you have totally different uh, opinions on some of the things.
3: Right. We both ran for president. Like we're both running for president. He was DJ action president. I'm just myself under the proxy party. I figured we could have a debate and that would be fun, but no, like apparently Lysol doesn't like debate either. He thinks that debate is trivial. I've also heard him encourage, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drag him while he's not here, but yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. I don't, I don't consider him to be a genuine person or a genuine person. So, I um, think he, he
2: is. He, him and me just just fucking fight sometimes over stupid stuff. <laughs> but yeah. I thought like I thought uh, like you and him would get along. I thought, you, but now now he doesn't bother the, me he at all. Me he does,
3: yeah, he doesn't bother me one bit. He's welcome in all of my rooms anytime. I don't care. I Have no fear of him whatsoever. But here's the thing: is that he's done everything he can to prevent me from speaking to people on this platform like Brianna, Joy Gray, and anyone in any room. I don't know if you've noticed, but anytime uh, my presence is even here. He does everything. He can't. If, if, if Lysol fought as hard to do anything as he did to prevent me from speaking on this platform, he would be a progressive powerhouse. you know what I mean? If he wanted to feed, if he fought as hard to feed hungry people, as he fought to keep me from speaking on this platform. I would have so much respect for him if he did anything that hard. But the hardest thing I've ever seen him do is fight me, you know? <laughs> and I don't understand why. You know?
1: Sounds like some unresolved <sighs> conflict right there.
2: Yeah, it does. I'm trying to figure out like whether Lysol and Brady's conflicts are like uh, disagreements on fact or meaning or what.
1: Ah. Uh. Uh, probably probably value because I think value disagreements on value is about setting priorities, what's important. Uh,
2: yeah, maybe. What do you think, Ray? Is it, do you think you and Lysol just have a disagreement on
3: values? That, that's a really good way to put it because I was going to add the social disagreement. I, well, I think it's more of like a social disagreement, like power play thing where it's just like it's a control thing. It's not so much he knows I'm right. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's no denying reality, you know? Um, so he's, he doesn't want to debate me, you know, it's just about shutting down. It's
1: it's over um, what to value, right?
3: A competing narrative.
1: What has value, uh, right?
3: I guess, yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. What has value? And for Lysol, what has value is trans people. And what I'm suggesting is that group is ma- majority you know um, men and like adult men and uh, for me personally one um, a, a kind of epiphany I've come to recently is I take my orders from women and children first and that's just me as a person you know and so my my concerns are involved with much bigger things than the concerns of adult men or even adult women at this point you know um I'm, I'm much more concerned with protecting children and making the earth a safe place to be a kid a safe and cool place to be a kid not just for humans but for animals too you know um and our food sources and everything and i'm just trying to make the whole world a, a generally better place and so you know i just have a larger i think i have a larger perspective than lysol has you know um i, I identify more globally and he identifies with kind of smaller groups, you know. So it's just a matter of perspective. It's a perspective disagreement is the way I would.
2: Yeah, I, I think like my, a lot of times uh, the disagreements I have with Lysol are, because like he, are
3: you,
2: it's usually a disagreement I have with the mainstream and then Lysol is kind of like the face of it for me. And then I take my anger out on Lysol. <laughs>
3: That's a good way of putting it. He does toe the line in that way from time to time, but I like having people like that around. You know, I actually appreciate him for playing that role. And he has, yeah, um, he does. Skin.
2: Yeah, he does. He he has thick skin. I use I mean, I'm usually the one that runs away crying after the <laughs> after a fucking debate with him. He
1: has thick skin, but he's also not speaking for himself. He's speaking for other people, which gives him a bigger shield. You
3: know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It gives yeah, you bigger yeah. sticks to swing too, yeah, for sure. But see, for right. me, I'm speaking on behalf of children. Like, no, no, children no, are the future stick. They're the stick people, of the future. You do the same thing,
1: That's the same thing. Yeah, no. same <laughs> I'm thing. <gonna> say, yeah <laughs> exactly. I'm protecting <I'm laughs> <saying>, yeah. children.
3: <laughs> exactly. I, I'm protected by children. Exactly. I love it. I going to start and doing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It works really good with the. It, I'll, I'll tell you guys that it has worked wonders with the Israeli Palestine conflict. I've been pulling people from Zionology over to the side of humanity, left and right, using the children thing. I say, you know, the, this situation involves a bunch of guilty adults and a bunch of innocent children, and we need to separate those two groups. And the, the adults can fight it out all they want. But the second one of those innocent children gets harmed, all the adults are in trouble. I don't care what side you're on. You know what I mean? Um, and so, a lot, no one...
1: on the second, I put a second website up there, liamrosen.com slash arguments. It's got some handy tips and um, strategies. And I think it's um, interesting, some of the things to keep in mind. It says, be mindful of trivial debates. Parkinson's Law of Triviality holds that insignificant, low-stakes issues tend to inspire inflamed and disproportionate amounts of debate compared to their trivial nature. Recognize when you're in one and be willing to call it out and shift the debate to something more important.
2: Yeah, not just tri- trivial, but superficial as well, like when, when, when it comes to skin color and stuff like that.
1: Don't agree to disagree. And I thought this was interesting. It's just two short paragraphs. If we return Uh, to our key quote, an argument should be a collaboration between two people to find the truth. I found that many people, with the excuse of saving time or saving faith, stop one step short of collaboration and instead arrive at cooperation. Examples of cooperation are agreeing to disagree, which, per Aumann's argument theorem, is illogical. Agreeing to compromise, or slowly drifting away from the original source of the disagreement to find something minor that both sides agree on, then declaring victory. While these are certainly preferable to conflict, settling for cooperation means that neither party actually has a chance to update their prior beliefs to get them closer to the truth. Think about a debate in which someone said, I guess we agree to disagree early on. Did either side
0: actually learn anything? Fantastic point. I hate it when people say... And then know when to quit
1: is another tip. (laughs) Our brains are highly susceptible to the sunk cost fallacy, which makes us want to continue something we've invested time and energy into. This is, of Uh course, one of the times where it might actually make sense to agree to disagree, help the person save face and slink away into the
0: night.
3: You know what I use to kind of dismount from an engagement like that is I'll say, you know what? Actually, you're so right. You've just convinced me. But guess what it was that convinced me?
1: Then the last one is, is the mental illness strategy. This may sound callous, but if you tried every strategy in this guide and your debate partner continues to operate at the bottom of the pyramid, for example, continuing to spout inflammatory ad hominem attacks, sometimes the best way to empathize with them is to pretend that they have an undiagnosed mental illness. When in an altered state, the very nature of reality shifts and warps and the affected person has no way of coming to grips with the reality most people identify with what if your debate partner were experiencing this or maybe they are don't you think it might don't you do don't you think you might treat them with more compassion oh that's so adorable that you think
0: that <laughs>
3: that's a really good one that's the voice of the buddha right there And I'm so guilty of that one. You know, sometimes I find myself punching down. I'm like, all right, they've had enough. (laughs) And it's so true. Um, You really have to, like, um, leave room for them to – you have to want them to be better. You know, you have to realize that they are sick and that you are – it's your job to heal, you know. And you can't heal – well, you know. Um, Sometimes you can deliver a little tough love like surgery right? Um, Sometimes you have to get past the skin to get to the organ that is um, wounded, right? And that might be painful, but um, you have to do it like a surgeon, which means that you're using anesthetic, right? So that when you're saying the harsh truth, you're, you're sugarcoating it with love and compliments, you know, and you're saying it in the kindest way you possibly can. And that really does help to win people over in a debate, doesn't matter how nasty or crazy they are.
0: It says
1: there's the meta debate is represented outside of our pyramid of debate as a sphinx because it guards the debate itself. Most of what people do in disagreements about political or social issues is just debate about the debate without actually engaging in the debate. This can come in many forms. Discussion about the bit debate itself, like what we're doing right now. Okay, is this, this is actually getting unproductive and leaving. Or this is really the wrong platform to have this debate on. Sensitivity concerns. Wow, you seem angry. Or the converse. Stop tone policing, painting with broad strokes. It's not worth it to debate environmentalists. You'll never convince them. Though these concerns may, may not necessarily be wrong and may, not, and may often be necessary to maintain good debate norms, we overvalue them and meta-debate comments can often crowd out an actual productive debate. Well, we're not doing that here because we're not trying to break down the
0: current debate that's going on. I'm just trying to go through the tips of it all. Just the tips, please. If you
1: wish to make an ap- bacon apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. <laughs> that fucking Carl Sagan.
3: I like that. That's very uh I bet he was useless. a I bet I bet
1: Carl Sagan was a was an Aquarius.
2: <laughs> he he said that oh, was yeah, step one was. you gotta make.
1: Sorry, what'd you say, Josh?
2: Oh, like, you know, step one is to create the universe and then go from there.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. How do you become
0: a millionaire? First, get a million dollars. Sorry, just had to quote a little Steve Martin.
3: Yeah, back to what they said about being nice. Um, in game theory, if you have a conflict, um, the fastest way to resolve the conflict, like a violent conflict, you know, like, let's say, imagine that somebody of equal power comes up to you and they hit you. You're like, oh, what the heck? Um if you don't want to instigate a war, the best thing to do is to just, like, ignore it, you know, be like, that was weird, you know, brush it off, go back to normal. If they hit you again, and after kind of brushing it off, then you retaliate, you hit them back with equal force, and then um, you wait. And if they hit you again, you avoid hitting them. You give them that extra window to for peace resolution. And then um, if they hit you again after that, then you hit them back. But you, you always leave like a kind of a resolution gap in the attacks, if that makes sense. And right. that tends right. to be a really good way to mitigate conflict online and in conversations, conversational conflict. Um, right.
1: Leave a path for somebody to... It
3: come back deadly. to the table yeah come back to the party an, an invitation an back an to opening
1: the party to get away without having to you know without losing face
3: mm-hmm. but don't be afraid to call a spade a spade when you need to don't be afraid to regulate when you yeah. have to but, but that's um, different than yeah. not,
1: you have to allow a, a a path of retreat when somebody's going to be wrong
3: well, I was going to say but you do, have to, you know, you have leave have a path back to the again. table.
0: Leave a line
1: like, of retreat.
0: Like, no
1: one yeah, likes to For sure, to any, anyone
3: can make their own line of retreat at any point. What I'm, what I'm suggesting is that you invite them back to the party, like back to the, back right. to the conversation, like or back to reality, or back to friendship, or back to resolution, or back to peace, essentially.
1: Right.
3: Um. And uh. They can all I mean after you hit them they could always run I mean that might work <laughs> but um, yeah if they're gonna if you're gonna be you know encountering this thing in your space whatever it is, whether it's an animal or a human or an enemy in a video game who knows um, but uh I don't know if it applies to video games <laughs> I don't think they're that complex yet, but they're getting there I don't want to sidetrack too much but um yeah that's just one other strategy for resolving conflict that I heard of. And it involves, you know, leaving that window for peace open, which I think is important in any debate. And that would really speed the process up too. So very cool articles. And and I think we just needed more programs like this and more cooler conversations. I think that shows like this is what, you know, contribute to the platform, you know, and actually help to grow and facilitate conversation, you know.
1: Well, thank you. Oh, Keeping rinse, rinse. On under, I've gone on to Podbean because there's more channels there that are live. But it it also Podbean a lot of them are religious, so like I feel like there needs to be more people doing not religious over there.
2: What's it called? Pod.
1: Podbean, B E A N, like the musical fruit.
2: Podbean. Mm-hmm. It's an app called Podbean.
1: Uh huh. Yeah.
2: But it's it's mostly religion.
1: Uh, the live shows, uh, there'll be occasionally there'll be a music one, and and sometimes in the evening times they have ones like that are just conversation. Or, but they have more categories. It's an interesting app. They do a lot of. It's a lot similar to um, what Pauline does. But they, I don't think they do. I don't think they have video.
2: But like. When, like you could start a room if you wanted to yep oh really yep oh have you started rooms over there
1: i I have done a couple of test rooms but I haven't really dived in um, you can also over there um, if you pay for the monthly basic monthly it's like 1499 or something you can actually upload your own music and stuff and it'll play it it'll play it natively which is kind of nice
2: oh but you can still do that thing like i do where i just play uh, spotify in the background totally okay totally.
1: totally can still do that for free and it, it has some limitations if you're doing it for free i think you um it, it has to be under two hours or something
2: Oh, so Colin's better in that regard because it's free. For
1: for time. Right, right. But, you know, that, but you also like that it has the thing if you want, like on this one where you can, you can publish it and it'll put it to the podcast, you know, in the podcast feeds and stuff. But there's always at least 10 or 12 rooms going. Oh, wow, really? So there's usually at least one or two that are either it says comedy or friends or entertainment or something like that oh they have more categories
2: and you can just call in or whatever i mean i don't know what they call it over there pod in yep
1: yep yep same same thing you can yep same thing as here you can just listen or you can call in or you can type in the chat it has a chat feature
2: oh
0: cool